gathering of the saints. Thank you for your bride, Lord. This is the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the one that you have dressed in your own son's garments. You've made us righteous through his finished work. And we are united by Jesus. We're united by his completion of the work of salvation. We add not to it. And it causes us to love one another, enjoy one another. It causes us to sing and fellowship. So, Lord, we thank you that we've been able to gather this morning. We thank you for our country, Lord. Though it is in trouble, we are still gathering. And we praise you that we have the freedom to do this, Lord. Father, bring our country to its knees. Bring us to repentance. Don't let us drift away from those truths we were founded on. We pray for the church in America. It's the most important thing. That you would cause the church to rise up and stand on truth humbly and lovingly, but stand and not waver, Lord. Cause us who believe the Bible is all sufficient to find our wisdom and practice and theology and doctrine from it, Lord. And may we reject those things that are contrary to you. Lord, we pray for our community, Lord. That Riverbend would continue to be a lighthouse here in this community. We continue to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That he forgives sins, past, present, and future. People can have the purity of the bride, Lord, when forgiven by Jesus. Lord, we thank you for our missionaries scattered all over the globe, Lord. What a joy to speak with some of them even this week. As they begin to try to fire up their ministries again. Trying to fight through such... Uh, such hardships in these third worlds. And we pray that you would give them strength, Lord. Cause them to press on when it's difficult. Give them favor in their communities, in their villages, Lord. And Lord, we pray that this gospel, that unchanged through Jesus Christ, would be preached in their, in their countries, in their cities, Lord. Father, now as we turn to your word, may it pierce our hearts, Lord. May we not be just hearers of it, but may we be doers of it, but may we be worshipers as well, Lord. Cause us to marvel at the great work of Jesus Christ. In his blessed name, amen. Weddings are often full of beauty and elegance and pageantry. I've done many weddings through the years, and I, I really do enjoy the wedding, but one of the things I really enjoy is doing the rehearsals. <laughs> the rehearsal the night before the wedding is, is a lot of fun. It's, it's encouraging to see what God is doing. There's this great anticipation as the wedding party begins to assemble. There's a sense of this long-awaited fulfillment of what God has done. This person that has brought into your life. And you can't wait to have that day come and celebrate it with the closest people in your life. Wedding rehearsal is interesting. There's people often flying in. They're coming in from all over the place often to get to that rehearsal in order to be part of that great wedding day. As they gather, think about this, they gather to practice what they're going to do the following day. Wedding rehearsal displays great unity. There's a great excitement in it. I love leading those because I like everybody to realize this is their day. This is the day for the bride, not for you. So let's make it a great day for this bride and groom. All eyes now turn to them. Even in the wedding rehearsal, you 
see the groom and his excitement and all the things that are going through his mind there with his groomsmen. But soon the bride enters, and even in a rehearsal, eyes start to turn toward that bride. This is her long-awaited day. It's a day that she has dreamt about and studied on and prepared for. Her beauty and her purity is on full display as she begins to practice walking down that aisle, coming towards her groom. And everyone has a sense of joy as she comes down that aisle, even in rehearsal. Well, it's just a rehearsal. The real event is coming. It's coming the next day. And in a sense, that's what we see when the church gathers each and every time we come together. This is a rehearsal for a great wedding feast that's coming. When we study the ancient Hebrew and Jewish weddings, there was many stages to the wedding. They would last up to a week long. There would be ceremony, and there would be a feast, there would be a consummation of this marriage. And this would last throughout the week, celebrating the marriage of the groom to the bride. And everyone there was excited. The wedding party would be filled with bridesmaids and groomsmen and guests, all dressed in wedding clothes. So you have to have wedding clothes when you come to the wedding. They would have their lamps filled with oil and their wicks trimmed, as Jesus tells us in his parables. There is a preparation for the great day. And that's what we're doing today. Each and every time we come together, we prepare for this great day that we are going to have when the bride comes to the groom the final time. John the Baptist was a good example of that. You remember him? John the Baptist in John chapter 3 is questioned whether he is the Messiah. <laughs> are you he or do we expect another? John was great. He said, listen, I'm not the Messiah. I am not the Christ. I'm not even worthy to undo the strap on his sandal. What a humble statement. But John loved the whole wedding party. He loved the whole feast. He loved the whole picture of making Christ the sinner of the attention. And this is what he said, John 3, 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. So don't look to me, John said. Look to the bridegroom. Look to the groom. He's the one who has it all. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, now listen to this, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Oh, that's us. When we read the word, we understand who Jesus is. We, we with one voice echo great joy. And then John finished his statement by this. He said, this joy of mine has been made full. He saw the Messiah. And for him, that was really the consummation of his ministry, right? He was the forerunner. The Messiah came, and he was full of joy because Jesus gets the bride. Jesus, he gets the bride. What a beautiful thing that is. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. and jump around a few passages here, and then we'll settle into Revelation 19. Revelation chapter 5, 22 through 32 is probably one of the greatest marriage passages within the scriptures. It is a passage that reminds us that 
marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. There is great instruction for husbands. There's great instructions for wives in this text. But ultimately, notice in verse 32, this mystery is great. But I am speaking in reference to Christ in his church. So I want to look at this briefly for the role as we think about our preparation here for this coming day when the bride will be introduced to the groom once and for all. Notice in verse 22, brides, the bride of Christ, let's think of this in an ecclesiological way, right? The church, brides, be subject to your own husband as to the Lord. Well, as to the Lord is an act of worship, and notice to your own husband this monogamous relationship here. We have no other groom than Jesus. Do you understand that? He's everything to us. He's who we belong to. And so here, wives are given this great role to demonstrate that monogamous relationship with Jesus Christ as an act of worship to line their affairs up under him. Verse 23, for husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church. Now notice this, he, is being, he himself being the savior of the body. Hmm. I'd like to think of myself as Gina's savior. <laughs> um, but Jesus is the savior, right? See, see, there's only one who can save. See, that's, that's a groom. So all adoration, all submission, all headship goes to the one who can save. Do you have the ability to save a life in here? Can you save a life for eternity? See, there's no one in here who can do that. And so all adoration, all submission, all goes to the groom who can save. All of our affairs as the church, we line up underneath it, verse 24, but the church is in subject to Christ. So all wives to their own husbands, wives, you have a beautiful role to teach the church. Verse 25, husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. Here we realize that men reflect and mimic the true groom. See, he's the head of the church because only he could lay down his life, John 10, and take it up again because he could beat death. See, none of us can beat death. Jesus can beat death. And he beat it and he rose from the grave, showing that our sins were forgiven. And so we, husbands, are to mimic him that we lay down our lives for our bride, for our wives. And so the church lays down and accepts this great groom who covers him, covers her. And so Jesus is that perfect groom. Notice that he sanctifies her. Christ sets her apart, verse 26. She's unique to him. He has no other groom but his bride. Isn't that great? Now, the world's religions, we know that because they've always taken Jesus plus something. Jesus plus some prophet. Jesus plus some man or woman. Oh, not the true church of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ alone. Not the leadership of the church. Not the heads of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. And so he sets us apart. Notice he cleanses us and washes us with his word, right? He Listen, he causes our purity. See, this is why the bride is beautiful. I entitled the sermon, The Beauty of the Bride. This is why the bride's so beautiful. 
because he washed us. He set us apart. Look at verse 27. I love this verse. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory. See, he did everything to make us pure, white, and special on that day of presentation. He presents us pure before the Lord. What an amazing text. Turn with me to Revelations, and I want to jump in this and then give you just quick six thoughts. I know you're going, hmm, he's going to get done by noon. (laughs) Revelation chapter 19, just briefly some context here. We're now at the end of the great tribulation. The scene is now turning from judgment towards a great rejoicing that's going on in heaven. You'll notice there are four hallelujahs in this passage. Three of them, hallelujahs, are as that Christ beat Satan, sin, and death. It's beat those who oppose him. And the, and the enormous crowd, the enormous crowd that is in heaven, champions, champions as we just sang, hallelujah to the Lord Jesus Christ, three times over and over to the praise of the glory. Notice in verse 24, you find these 24 elders and these four living creatures fell down, and they worship God who sat on the throne saying, Hallelujah. Here, I, I believe these 24 elders represent the church. Uh, they're in full worship mode. Every time we see these guys, this picture here in Revelation, they have crowns on their head. They're dressed in white. They're coming with Jesus. Oh, it must represent the church of Jesus Christ. And notice their praise, how loud it is. This praise of these saints here, the bride. They're called the voice of great multitudes and sounds of many waters. The sounds of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. People often ask us why we sing the way we do. We're practicing. That's what we're going to do in heaven. We're practicing here on earth. And listen, listen, our practice is, is really <laughs> pretty weak to what it's going to be, as good as our church sings. Think about that. With no sin, we'll sing in perfection. And I don't, I don't think that's so much about the tunes and the notes that we'll hit, more than the fact that there will be nothing in our hearts and minds that will distract from the glory of God. And that's what you hear in this text. You hear this thunder of praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, he's worth it, isn't he? Is he not worthy our praise now? Notice in verse 7, there's this perfect worship has broken out and glory is given to God for this marriage of the Lamb has come. Now notice this. this There's what I'm after this morning. Then this statement here. His bride has made herself ready. His bride has made herself ready. Now listen, brothers and sisters, we know that we cannot dress ourselves in righteousness. Jesus does that. The imputation of sin was given to him. He took our sin who knew no sin, and we became his righteousness. So he, our sin got imputed to him. He was judged as though he committed our sins. The wages of sin is death. So he died, and God gave us his own son's righteousness and dressed us in those robes. 
But isn't it fascinating here that it says his bride has made herself ready? There's a response here. There's a response. Look at verse 8 with me. That the bride is clothed in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen, and here we go, is the righteous acts of the saints. So here we have a bride that has made herself ready. She is dressed in righteousness. She reflects in her obedience to the one who has made her righteous. Now she's reflecting. She, we call the church with a feminine term because ecclesiology, ecclesia is always in the feminine. It's always looking at the bride. And she has now adorned herself with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which produced obedience and righteous acts. Now listen, let me make this very clear. Our righteous acts don't make us righteous. Our righteous acts are because we were made righteous. You got that? Please get that down. (laughs) Otherwise, we're just like the rest of the religions of the world that are based on works righteousness. You do enough things to gain something. Oh, we've never gained anything on our own. But we do worship because of the result of what God has done. Notice verse 9. And then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. (laughs) Not that the word of God can be an understatement, but think about that. Blessed, blissfully joyful are those who've been invited to the marriage of the Lamb. If you're saved, if you've truly come to God through Jesus Christ alone, no works of your own, come to him through faith alone You are the blessed they're talking about in this text. You are the bride. You are the bride that comes. And notice in verse 9, this wedding party is just full of joy. They're full of joy. The restrictions of sin have fallen off the bride. And it's full adoration for her groom. So how did the bride make herself ready? How did she become so beautiful? Again, God justifies us through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Salvation comes through Christ alone, through faith alone, grace alone. But clearly there is a preparation for this consummation of this last aspect, this last great aspect of this glorious ceremony as the bride comes now to to reside eternally with the groom. And this morning... I'm going to give you several areas by the grace of God that the bride, the true church of Jesus Christ, has made herself ready. Number one, the bride's beauty comes from a devotion to her groom. The bride's beauty comes from a devotion to her groom. New Testament uses the word devoted several times. The Greek word is a word that carries the idea of steadfast dedication. That's what Christians are supposed to be. In fact, it's steadfast dedication with a persevering affection. It's not just getting it done because I'm going to persevere. There is an affection in that persevering. See, that's why we sing and preach and live the way we live because it's more than just getting to the end of the line. It's full of worship. It also means that there's There's something that constantly needs to be attended to. I'm devoted to this, so I constantly devote myself to Jesus Christ and his word. There's a persistence and faithfulness to the root of the word here. 
It speaks of someone who remains very close at hand. We're following our Savior, right? I've said many times, hey, let's get behind Jesus that the dust of his sandals will fall upon us. (laughs) Don't drift way back. Stay close to the Lord Jesus. Stay close to his word. See, this is the idea of devotion. When Jesus ascended in heaven in Acts chapter 1, the church has been faithfully waiting for him ever since. And see, the church has, is to make herself ready. The bride is to make herself ready because they're devoted despite the ridicule, despite the rejection, despite the persecution that, that the church has gone through for 2,000 years and probably still will come uh, against us if the Lord does not return. See, we're dedicated to Christ and his word no matter what direction the world goes. And that means marriage and gender and everything else that they seem to be running to with, with full embrace against, against what God said. See, there's a war going against God, but not with his bride. See, the bride, she's courageous. She has courageous love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's witnessed by her abiding commitment to Christ. We're we're Christ's disciples. We're the true bride. And when the church displays its devotion like a bride to a groom, it courageously is characterized by our purity. And I love that word because on our own we are not pure. But by Jesus Christ I am pure. The Bible is clear without a doubt. Those who are truly believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's past sins, their present sins, and their future sins are forgiven. He sees us perfect in his son. And so now this church is devoted to Jesus Christ. It's seen in our purity. It's seen in our theology, our, our view of God, our view of doctrine, our view of practice. This level of devotion is often resisted and even avoided by people. We cannot believe we would be so dedicated to someone that they can't see. Peter reminds that blessed are those who have not seen but love me. That's that's who the bride is. See, our groom is away physically. Though spiritually he resides within us. But is the bride going to remain faithful when the groom's away? See, this is what this is about. This is a rehearsal. The groom's coming soon. He's going to come through that door. Is the bride devoted to Jesus or is it devoted to their own thing? What they're doing. See, the priority of the bride is to honor the groom as head of the church. See, this is the mark of faithfulness. And a faithful bride adorns herself through the beauty of obedience. She obeys. The leadership of the church, this is the under-shepherds. They're, they're not to be adorned like the groom. Pastors, elders, we're not the groom. We're here cheering him on. That's what I do here every Sunday. I study, 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 and come and cheer him on for you. I'm just a galley rower. The elders are, are, are men who God's called to shepherd and care for the church, but we're not the groom. Our job is, is to get uh, the love of the groom and the friend of the groom is to edify you and get you ready for the groom. That's our job. 
We equip you. Now, unbelievers are certainly welcome to, un to attend our church. But when they're often exposed to this Christ-centered praise and preaching, they're, they're a little lost. <laughs> what wedding are we talking about? We're talking about the final consummation of the bride to the groom in heaven. And we prepare ourselves. And so we are aliens and foreigners and strangers here in this world. When it comes to the church, there's no spiritual extramarital affairs. You don't understand that. Christ is our Lord, period. We have no other. That's faithfulness. That's devotion. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 with me. This church in Thessalonica, they had grasped Jesus Christ and it had changed their entire life. I think Paul loved writing to them, talking to them. We know we have two inspired letters at least to them. There's probably other letters that were written, but these two were inspired to become part of the Holy Scriptures. So think about a faithful bride. See, Paul looks at this faithful bride in Thessalonica, and he says, verse 2, chapter 1, verse 2, 1 Thessalonians, we give thanks to God always for all of you making mention to you in our prayers. There's a thanksgiving that goes to a faithful person, right? Isn't it wonderful to see two older seniors in our church walking down the halls between BFG and church and holding hands? We've been faithful. In the bottom of our, our mail, you'll see where Pastor Jerry puts in there, so-and-so married 60 years. Faithful. See, Paul gives thanks to their faithfulness. Notice this, what he marks about their faithfulness. This is why they're beautiful. This is why the bride is beautiful, because Christ's righteousness has compelled us to do good things, right? Constantly bearing in mind the work of faith. See, faith is a gift from God so that we would believe in his son. We cannot faith our way to God. God must bless us with, with a divine faith to believe. But faith has an outworking. James says, show me your faith, I'll show you deeds. they got to go together. There's a response to one, isn't there? And, and so one of the things that's beautiful about this bride is she's, she's got a work of faith going on. I'm going to church when everybody says not to. What is that crazy group at River Bend doing now? See, there's a work of faith. We know that God has ordained our days. We cannot add to them. And so we obey the scriptures to gather and sing and do all the things that the world was telling us not to do. Notice there's a labor of love. It's an interesting combination of words, isn't it? Well, my relationship with my wife is so good, there's no labor in it. Liar. <laughs> it takes work, doesn't it? And that's what these people were doing. They were loving each other, working at it. And in a church, it's even more work, isn't it, right? I'm going to be part of the bride. I'm going to show up. People are depending on me. There's, a, there's an iron sharpening iron aspect to us coming together. There's a stirring of one another when we come. And so I labor in love to make sure I'm involved. Because I'm part of the body. I'm part of the bride. And the groom's coming. Notice, he says that there's a steadfastness of hope. See, isn't hope beautiful, right? When the world is constantly negative. Every once in a while, I'll try to watch the news. I'll, I'll, I'll go, okay, 
Okay, I'm going to try. Just hopeless, right? It's not beautiful. It's dark and wrong most of the time. See, the church, the bride is adorned with hopefulness. Christ is coming. He has not abandoned us. See, there's a mark. See the beauty that comes up. Drop all the way down to verse 10. Notice this church is waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, look at this, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Verses 8 and 9, they leave their idolistic worship to follow the one true groom. See, this is devotion. Devotion is beautiful. It's here, this is characterized by genuine faith, sacrificial love, and steadfast hope. And when the true bride heard the gospel, it believed, and it sounded forth a faithful testimony, even in the face of persecution. So the bride's beauty and devotion to Christ is witnessed by an assembly, assembled, redeemed group of worshipers who continue to grow in Christ-likeness as they give themselves to the one and only groom. Have you made yourself ready, and are you devoted, now listen to this, to the groom of grooms? We have a king of kings, and we have a lord of lords, but we also have a groom of grooms, right? He is the groom of grooms. Are you devoted to him? Second thought. The bride's beauty comes from a commitment to the truth of the groom's words. Acts chapter 2, we often say that this is the birth of the church, but in reality, that was the beginning of the wedding, right? That's the wedding, that's the first ceremony. The, the, the church, yes, is birthed in a way, but it's the beginning of the picture of the wedding. And the wedding lasts for a week. And so the New Testament is this week long of the gathering in of the wedding party and the guests that are all dressed in wedding clothes. And this bride now is committed to truth. Acts chapter 2, it said of the early church that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings. That's the teachings of Jesus Christ. John 8, 31, Jesus said this to those who believe. He says, if you continue in my word, you are my true disciples. And so Jesus told his new bride, in a sense, that's now beginning this relationship with him in Acts chapter 2, that all of the scriptures are about me, so the Old Testament is pointing to me, my life and ministry tells you who I am, and now I'm going to give new revelation to these, through the Spirit of God, through these apostles, and you're going to know what I want you to believe. I'm going to give you truth that will set you free, and the bride believes it. See, the bride believes this is the word of God. They believe it's inerrant without error, right? That it's sufficient, all-sufficient. It's infallible. And so the bride is beautiful because there's a commitment to the groom's truth. Now, the bride is constantly, is to constantly um, expose itself to what the groom believes. Look with me at Colossians chapter 3, just over a page or so. Verse 16. See, the word of God is more than just some ritualistic act of obedience. 
the bride cherishes the groom's wisdom. I want you to think about that now as you read this verse with me. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Notice that. Sometimes we can just reel off verses because we know verses like this. Let the word of Christ richly. The word means more than you can spend. Let it, let it dwell within you. See, the bride loves the words of the groom, and she meditates on them day and night. And she's like a tree planted by the streams of living water. It is more than just a book of ancient wisdom. See, the bride believes with all wisdom and teaching, there's an admonishing of one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, all singing, making thankfulness, making gratitude in your hearts towards God. See, we love, the bride loves the groom's words. And we don't change his words. We don't take the groom's words and make them fit within our culture and our society and all of those. We believe the groom because his words are all sufficient and they pierce through the culture, they pierce through time, they pierce through everything that changes in man's world. And see, the bride holds on to it. And we love it. See, this is what true love does. This is what devotion to Christ gives us. This is what cannot be manufactured. This is not some roommate condition. This is pure adoration, pure devotion to the groom, the Lord Jesus Christ. Churches are not to, they don't devote themselves to the word of God. You know what happens? They start looking over the fence. This is what's happened in America with America's churches. Christ has not been the center of the church. The word of God has, has in their minds, lost the sufficiency. And so now they look over the fence. They look to other, uh, other philosophies and other wisdoms. And it's almost, I mean, you can say this as graphic as it is. It's adulterating against the groom. Isn't it? And so not, not this church. I mean, our goal, we're not perfect, but we're have a perfect groom and we're following him is to hold to the all-sufficient word of God despite what others do. This is what makes the church, makes the bride beautiful. And if you don't, you become malnourished and you start to fall into temptation that leads you away and causes you to be unfaithful. See, but not the faithful bride. See, the groom has given us the sword of the spirit. We rightly divide the word. We defend we defend ourselves, we defend the truth of God's word by the grace of God because truth set us free. And free people don't compromise. You know that. Have you made yourself ready by constantly nourishing on the groom's wisdom and knowledge? That's what makes you beautiful. Third, the bride's beauty comes from an intimate communion with God. Well, the true bride of Christ is always devoted to prayer, right? And she displays through prayer her dependency upon her groom, dependency upon her God and Savior. See, Jesus, our groom, has, has always been there interceding for us with the Father. Romans chapter 8, verse 34, Christ 
Is it he who died? Yes, rather, he who was raised, who is at the right hand of the Father, who has, who, excuse me, who also intercedes for us. And so there's a recognition, the bride recognizes the necessity to gain divine wisdom and assistance, not only through the word of God, but also in a prayer life, speaking with our Lord, causing ourselves to be dependent upon him. When we don't pray, we say, groom, I'm going to handle this on my own. See, the bride says, no, I need my groom. I look to him for leadership. I look for him for wisdom. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. You can see the bride in so many passages time and time again. 1 Peter 5 verse 6, Therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. There's a humbling that the bride goes under. We willingly line our affairs up under the lordship of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior, and we put ourselves under his mighty hand. Lord, if you want to take me home, if you want to take me home to COVID, car wreck, cancer, if you want to come back, I'm ready. Lord, I submit to you. May I be found faithful. But he says, he, in verse 6, that he'll exalt you at the proper time. You may not be on this earth, but he'll exalt you. You know how he's going to exalt you? When you stand before him, he's going to go, there's my bride. The one I died for and washed and made her pure, that's my bride. What an exalted position that we'll have for all of eternity as the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. But look at verse 7, this is what the bride does. And I love the, the, the intimacy of this passage. Casting all your anxieties on him. The word means to throw them onto the Lord. I need you, Lord. And the Bible says this, because he cares for you. There's nothing more than an earthly wife wants out of her husband is to care for her. Too many marriages come into my office where people say, he just doesn't or she doesn't care for me. See, that's not, that's not true with our groom. And this shouldn't motivate us to care for the ones he's put us into these earthly marriages with. God cares for his people. He cared so much that he sent his son to bleed and die and, and be judged as though he committed our sins. He cares for you. And the beauty of the bride is in the fact that we trust him and we cast our anxieties, our fears, the things we don't understand, we cast those to him. And we stop acting independent of the groom. Are you living independent of the groom? Because he's showing up one of these days. And will you be dressed? Will your lamp be filled with oil, your wicks trimmed? Will you be ready? See, this is a dependency that we have on him. See, a relentless commitment to corporate prayer and private prayer shows that the bride is beautiful because she's dependent on the providential and sovereign care of the Lord. So the Bible says over and over in places, Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, Colossians 4, 2, devote yourself to prayer, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. We were devoted Jesus, the night before his death, said, Lord, 
Let them be one with us as we are one. See, there's a oneness with Jesus. There's a oneness. And that, that means he knows everything we go through. The bride should not be acting independent of the groom. And churches today that have left their first love, Revelation chapter 7, are in for a rude awakening when the group returns. Is your beauty, are we dressed as a beautiful bride because we're dependent on our groom? For the bride's beauty is reflected in her remembrance of her groom's saving work. Well, this just quickly just acknowledges that we're identified in Christ. Every month or so, we do a baptism on Sunday nights. Baptism behind those curtains there. And it's, it's person after person saying, here's how I'm now identified in Jesus Christ. And they give their testimony how Christ is now their identity. See, that's the doctrine of remembrance. When's the last time you gave somebody your testimony? When you said, can I share what Jesus has done for me? See, the bride... The bride is really proud of her groom. She likes to sing. She likes to tell of the goodness of her groom. And she'll rehearse it. She'll tell how she is identified in Christ. She's identified in her groom. She will not want to run independent of him. This is why the Lord's table is important to us here at this church. We celebrate communion not to gain Jesus, but to thank him for what he did. We thank him for his incarnation that he left heaven and became man so he could suffer in our place. He could be our representative. He could be our mediator. He had a perfect life and a perfect death and he had victory and res resurrection. So we celebrate the table once a month or so with our church in the doctrine of remembrance because the bride loves to remember her groom. And we don't live independently. See, the bride rehearses so when he shows up, the memories will be even sweeter. Fifth, the bride's beauty is not understood until you see her unity. This is very important. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says the early church was devoted to fellowship. It says that they were continually developed, uh, devoted to fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer and the teaching of the apostles, right? So the bride has always been distinguished by her consistent devotion, and listen to this, sacrificial um, commitment to other believers who make up the bride. We, as the bride, do not live independent of each other. If you bleed, or if you cut, let me say this, I'll say this in marriages all the time, if she's cut, you bleed. See, that's why Romans says that the church weeps with you when you weep and it rejoices when you rejoice because there is a koinonia fellowship here that binds us together in Jesus Christ. And so when people don't want to come to church or, or find excuses to be away way too often, is you don't, that means that, that probably that person does not see the beauty of the bride because they've missed the unity of the bride. One of the traits that makes us beautiful to the groom is we are united. This is why we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Isn't that a beautiful verse? 
Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you love when you see somebody serving somebody else? Meeting some need? Caring for somebody? Not forsaking yourself, your assembling of yourself together is the habit of some. Well, this has been a problem for 2,000 years. The Bible wrote it down. There are some who say they're part of the bride, but they don't gather. But then he says, but encouraging one another all the more till you see the day drawing near. That's the wedding. That's the, the final consummation of it. It's coming. We're in the rehearsal. Are you at the rehearsal? Because you're not going to know what to do when the wedding comes. Oh, what a beautiful analogy that is. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you, what? Love one another. Finally, and far most important, the bride's ultimate source of beauty is a gift from her groom. Last verse, Colossians, to your left, Colossians chapter 1. The bride's ultimate source of beauty is a gift from her groom. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. Follow with me. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. <laughs> God loved that we could look at Jesus Christ in His humanity on this earth and realize that He had full deity as well as full humanity. It brought God great pleasure to have Jesus Christ be incarnate so He could die and resurrect for us. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made, now this is the beauty of the bride, look at this, having made peace through the blood of the cross, we're no longer at war with the Father, this is why we're beautiful, we're at peace with God through the cross, through him I say whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alien and hostile in your mind, engaged in evil deeds, that was us before, yet now, look at this, he has reconciled you, that word means change your position. You were dead, now you're alive. You were lost, and now you're found. You were blind, and now you see. He changed your position. In his fleshly body, Jesus did this because he came and was incarnate. And he went through death for us. Now look at this. This is why we're so beautiful. In order to present, oh, here it is. Here's Jesus presenting his bride. Present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Oh, that's purity. That's a church, a bride, dressed in white. In just a moment, I'm going to pray, and then the worship team is going to come, and we're going to sing a song that is very fitting for this, and then I'm going to come and give you the final benediction. Please stay and listen. Father, thank you for this time together. We are beautiful because of you. You gave us your son's righteousness. We're dressed in that righteousness. We belong to you. And yet, Lord, there is an aspect that you've called us into obedience that puts our beauty on display. We're devoted to you. We're devoted to you. And there's nothing more beautiful than a bride devoted to her groom. And Lord, we pray that Riverbend Church we, who make up the bride of Jesus Christ, will be devoted. 
even in times where, where the world is not going to put up with what the Bible teaches, may we be devoted, humbly, teaching the truth in love, but unfailing, devoted, and faithful. Lord, I pray for those in this room that don't know you. God, I pray you would open their hearts and minds now. Cause them, by your grace and through Jesus Christ alone, to be part of this beautiful bride. Lord, now hear our worship. In Jesus' name, amen.